0: Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get us started on time. Everybody's chatting. You guys having a good middle of the week? Yeah. Everything's going all right? All right, well, welcome to church tonight. glad you're joining us. <laughs> Let's stand and we'll start our song service. It's just like his great love. Just say something every now and then, if you want to have the liberty. <laughs> and so today, I didn't have a lot going on at work. I have one new lead, which normally I have 15 or 20 people to call, and I had one today. And so, what was I doing? Well, I looked at Facebook a little bit. I scrolled across a video that was just really encouraging, and, alit- and and in a way, I never really heard about the thief on the cross. So you imagine, he dies, and he goes to heaven and there he is in heaven, and he's talking to people in heaven, he's like, hey, what are you doing here? he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. (laughs) He's like, well, how how did you end up getting here? He's like, I don't know. That guy said I could come. (laughs) That's all he said. You know, that was the crux of it. He went on for three or four minutes, but it was just kind of interesting to listen to that conversation because Well, he didn't know anything about justification, sanctification, salvation, justification by faith, or sin, or forgiveness. Like, I mean, all this doctrine that we know, he didn't know. He was just there, because that guy said he could come. And that's really all we trust in, too, right? It's just that Jesus said, I can come. That's it. That's how easy it is. And that's why children can accept Christ and come to heaven by faith. Because he just, hey, can you please take me? He's like, yeah, okay. That's why I died on the cross, right? (laughs) All right, let's go to the next one. Wonder of it all. There's the one. nothing we can do to earn God's love. He gives it to us. He gives it to everyone. Last one. My Jesus I love thee. First thing I think of, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. That one convicts me. Convicts me. Right? Uh, I know commandments so I break. And I know some I keep, but a lot I break. Like, we have the forgiveness of Christ, right? So if you love me, what's another one? <coughs> love your neighbor. Yeah? Because it's like, hey, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's like, well, love the Lord your God with all your soul, your heart, and your mind, and love your neighbor. Right? So. We love Christ because He first loved us. What? Oh, feed my sheep. Encourage one another, right? That's right. And you know, you know, I think of Bob. It's Bob in here. Where's Bob Marra? Yeah. You know, he he's always doing that, right? When he talks to you, does he not ever just like quote scripture to you nonstop? Because he knows it, right? And he shares it with you. And uh, I was in Sunday school talking to him last week, and. Uh, I went pop in my head and I shared it with him, and the biggest smile came on his face. Yeah. He's just like, it's it's great to share it with each other, right? If we love God because we love the Word, we're in the Word. So, all right, let's sing the second verse. Ready? I love
1: Thee because.
2: Testing, there, testing, God, okay, All right, still a red light, but anyway, uh, just a couple of prayer requests before we jump into the message, then we'll have prayer afterwards, but um, John Dice, if you did not get that prayer chain, um, pull, or, uh, tore his Achilles tendon yesterday, or uh, Saturday playing basketball. He said, well, it started out as just shooting around, turned into a game, which he sh- you know, shouldn't have done probably, but anyway, so he's... Uh, was seeing a surgeon today, so I haven't heard back, but uh, we'll see what happens with him. And then uh, Lori Roberts is uh, Dave Black's daughter. Uh, she has had a biopsy. They're still waiting on that. I haven't heard anything from that yet either. So a couple of prayer requests for you just to kind of keep in mind. All right, we're going through our study, uh, Take the Lead, and uh, it's a little booklet. I keep reminding you this in case you want to get one. Uh, it's written by Robert Kurtz. And by the way, you brought up... Uh, Robert Mayer, Bob Mayer, um, he's 82, and where's he at? Working in Awana. I'm just kind of pointing that out, you know, it's like, he's what? You think he's 87? I don't know. I, I thought he was... He his birthday, he said he was 88. Oh, see? 88. He's 88 and working in Awana. like two years younger, Okay, so there you go. I don't know how old he is. He's, you know, but he's working in Awana. I just want to point that out. Just, I think that's really cool, too. Anyway, so uh, it is a principles in biblical leadership. That's what the book is. I've kind of taken it and turned it into a preparing to be used by God concept, because he's writing to his teenage son, and you're not teenagers. And most of you, uh, I don't know, most of you, but half of you aren't sons. So, uh, but this is just, you know, taking these principles, and we'll if we'll do them in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, it talks about how how we become a vessel that is meat. Just made fit, made to fit, meet for the master's use. And the way we do that, if you read Second Timothy two, is to become a clean vessel, right? It's to be ready, to be prepared. And so that's what this will do for you, It'll help you be prepared to be uh, used by God. And I just pointed out this morning, by the way, since we've just brought up Bob Mayer, uh, you know, how was Moses when God when he started his ministry? Eighty. Moses was eighty when he started his ministry. Uh, and so uh, you know this we 're none of us are past god 's using us yet, right, and so i 'm just pointing out so we need to be ready to be used uh, so here we go. Principle number twelve is be complimentary uh, and, and uh, this is a now, again he 's talking to a teenage son, so he 's trying to tell his fourteen year old son just how to give compliments perhaps and and uh, you know not be mean and those kinds of things but There's a greater context or concept of this willingness to be complementary. What what does it mean, by the way, to be complementary? What does that even mean? I'm going to be complementary. What does that mean? Okay, focus on others. Say it again? To go along with. So if something complements something, like, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping, you know, my outfit is complementary. If it wasn't... If my tie were not complimenting my shirt, then it would not be complimentary. It would be what? Clash. It would be clashing, right? And so he's trying to teach us on this basic principle. Let's not clash all the time. Uh, let's learn how to be complimentary. And I want to, uh, to use that as a springboard for talking about conversation. But then I want to really teach us how to, to make a good compliment. So uh, let's take a look at this. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says... There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue, is of, the wi- uh, the tongue of the wise is health. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, study this together, help us to grow in your grace, to learn from it, to be able to apply these simple truths uh, to our lives so that whenever you walk into our life and want to use us, we're ready, we're prepared, we're meet for the master's use, and we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of this statement is powerful, right? There is that speaketh like the piercings of a, When some people speak, it's like they are cutting you to pieces. There is that one that speaks, and it's like the piercing of a sword. I hope that's none of the people in this room. It ought not to be us. As God's people, we ought to get past that, right? Our speech should be the last part of this, but the tongue of the wise, and I love the way God says this, is health. It literally helps us in every area. It it strengthens us. It makes us better. Uh, So when we're speaking to one another, that ought to be the result of it. When he's saying to his son be complimentary, I'm saying let's broaden this to our speech and understand what our speech is for. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And, of course, there's always these two concepts. Proverbs is a book of poetry, and it doesn't seem like poetry when you and I read it. But much of poetry in the Hebrew is contrast, right? You have one, so each of these verses can stand alone, uh, and you have one thing and then the opposite. Soft answer turns by wrath, grievous words stir stir up anger. Uh, One's like a sword, one's health. And so that's what that kind of concept of poetry is. But um, this one is, this is a big one. I, I, I wish, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I, I feel confident in saying more than a hundred times in the 30-some years I've been your pastor that I have given this passage of Scripture as advice to someone, uh, someone who's having trouble with their son, who's, who they're constantly, there's this friction constantly between them and their son, there's this friction constantly between them and their daughter, husband and wife, there's this constant and I'll say to them, a soft answer turns away wrath, and they, I'm, I'm telling you, more than a hundred times, they've looked at me and in essence said, Pastor, I tried that, and it doesn't work. And uh, I, am, I literally say to them, you're, you, you're really going to tell me that God's word doesn't work. That's what you're going to tell me, God's word doesn't work. And so then they're like, uh, no, I don't mean it that way. Well, then what are you trying to say? I don't know what else you're trying to say, right? Either it works or it doesn't. And so what we do have to do is to get to, to, get to an understanding of the passage, right? It's not talking about, you know, we've spent the last 17 years bickering as a family, and now I decided I'm going to put the, uh, you know, I'm going to throw this, you know, soft answer pill into the mix, and it's supposed to fix all the problems. That's not the way this works, uh, it is not. We don't spend 17 years with grievous words to stir up anger and then give one soft answer and all the anger dissolves away. It is talking about that when we become consistent with giving a soft answer, then what begins to happen is the, the grievous words are going away and the anger begins to dissipate. A soft answer turneth away wrath. And so uh, you know, it is a good rule to follow, but we need to figure out how we're going to make that all work in a legitimate way. Uh, Proverbs 15.4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Here we are back to this. He's saying, Son, if you would talk to these people nicely, you know what it is? It's a tree of life. It's going to help these people in, in immense ways. It's going it's to really build them up because that's what a wholesome tongue does. But perverseness therein is a breach in the Spirit. When, when, we have, when we're not at that wholesome tongue, then it literally is a burden on the Spirit, and it begins to, to wear us down. I love Proverbs 25:11. one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think one of the reasons my favorite passage of Scripture is because I feel like that um, it shows us the heart of God in ways that we don't normally see it. Uh, it seems like, this one seems like poetry, right? This seems like it belongs in a Shakespeare play. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And it's literally saying that you know if we say just the right thing at just the right time with just the right attitude, a word fitly spoken, is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And if we'll learn to speak that way, and he's so he's trying to t- teach his son, hey, your words have power. And if we could learn how to be complimentary, that would be great. Um, he goes on to say, and if, you, if this is the one in Ephesians 4:29, I tell you every time I read it, I'll say it again. Every Christian should do what? Remember what I've said about this passage again and again and again? Memorize it. Every Christian should memorize this passage. It's that important. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. And we sometimes read that and we think, well, I don't cuss, Pastor John. That's not what corrupt communication is. Corrupt communication is anything that doesn't edify anything that doesn't minister grace anything that tears down right when we look at when we look at someone and say you idiot i can't believe you do that that's corrupt you know that's tearing them down not strengthening them and building them up and so you know we he would say to his son son don't do that right be complimentary let no corrupt communication say that i out but that which is good to use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearer and uh, so these basic principles of, of speech, but we'll get to a couple more. Here's a big one right here, Colossians chapter four, verse six. Let your speech, what you say, be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, what why do we season something with salt? Tastes better. Gives it flavor, tastes better. It does preserve it, but primarily, you know what we're doing when we when he's talking about here, right here? Make what you're about to say easier to swallow, you know? I mean, I think about this when I'm talking to my wife. I don't know. I think about this when I talk to my wife, and I should have been thinking about this before I said what I said. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I've said something. I realized that I left the salt out. We could have had the same conversation with totally different outcomes. Why did we spend the last 45 minutes feeling uneasy together? We love each other. But I failed to season with salt what probably needed to be said. You understand it's not that it didn't need to be said. I just needed to season it how many How many of our of our conflicts with our children, you know those teenagers that frustrate us to no end, how many of those could have been helped with just a little salt in in what we had to say? It's not that. We needed to change what we said. We needed to change how we said it. We needed to season it with salt. And, uh, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. If we will do this, if if our speech becomes this way, then it changes everything. So just real quick so that we know the difference. What's the difference between compliment and flattery? You know this already. What's the difference between compliment and flattery? We're not trying to teach people how to flatter. Here's what the Bible says. A man that flatters, flatters his neighbor... Spreadeth a net for his feet. And while you're thinking about the difference, I'll tell you the, how to understand this passage of Scripture because it actually could be understood two ways. When we flatter our neighbor, we could be spreading a net for our, for our neighbor's feet. We could be making it difficult for him. But when I flatter my neighbor, I'm backing myself into a corner too because now I've stepped out and, and flattered, and you'll understand when you define flattery why flattering also becomes a, a net my own feet. It gets me tangled up too. What is flattery? Tim? Flattery tends to be a positive comment that you might gain something. Okay, so the big difference between a compliment and flattery is motive, right? Uh, The motive of flattery is that I want something from you, so I flatter you in order to try and get that. You know, you're the best friend I've ever had. Would you loan me five bucks? Um, You know, I'm just making stuff up, you know, but uh, more along the line of, you know, that teenage guy who's flattering the girl and he's trying to get something from her and it has nothing to do with winning her love, right? And so he's flattering. Our motivation is what makes flattery. And so then that flattery tangles up our own feet, right? Let's use that same teenager who flattered his way into... Uh, into this girl's heart, and now he's tangled up in this relationship that he has trouble getting out of, right? It's a net to his own feet. And so uh, we, we don't, we're not trying to teach everybody to flatter. Uh, we're trying to teach what, what compliment is, and compliment's based on all those other things. It's, you know, putting salt to your, to your uh, statement. So what we're going to do now is walk through some Bible compliments. Uh, where, where the Bible gives a compliment. And I'm going to talk to you now. About, we're, we're adults here, right? We're not, we're not, we're not kids anymore. We're trying to, I'm not trying to teach my teenage son how to be complimentary. I want us to take our good comments that we give to one another all the time and raise them to a level that God can use. Uh, let me give you an example we'll say to our teenagers after they've done a special for us, oh, that, that was a, you did a great job on that special. Thank you very much. Is there anything wrong with saying that? No. But you know what that has done? That has put all of the focus on the teenager. The teenager walks away, breaking his arm, patting himself on the back, saying, yeah, you know what, I must be really good. 17 people just told me how good I was. And we've missed the point of it. Let me show you what the Bible does in flattery, or in flattery, I'm sorry, in compliment. Um, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Let's bring God into the equation when we are saying, you know, what the Apostle Paul is saying in here in Ephesians in Philippians 1 is, you've, you've, you guys are really important to me, right? That's what he's saying. You're important to me. I like you. Uh, I, I'm... But when we put God into it, it changes it. It takes the focus off of the person. Because I do not need to build up the self-esteem of my kid. I don't. The problem with humanity is that we already have too much self-esteem. right? We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Having said that, I don't want to tear my kid down and say, you know, you're a worthless nobody. I don't know why you know you think you should... That is true, right? The Apostle Paul says, for such a worm as I. I mean, that's, that's really what we are, but we don't want to remind our kids constantly that they're useless worms. What we want to do is give, build them up, but we want to build them up toward the things of God. Look what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4 of Philippians. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He, he says, you know, you're important to me, and the reason you're important to me is because God has done a work in your life. I mean, he, he brings it, he takes the compliment, and he raises it to the level. What if when that teenager sang that special, we said, I just want to thank you for taking the talents God has given you and using them for his glory. Now, do you see how different that compliment is? We're still giving the kid a compliment. But now it's not like, you're such a great kid. It is, wow, what a great God we have. And that kid will go out of there not trying to get now people to give him applause. He will say, go out of there saying, I want to keep serving Jesus. You understand? And it's just taking the same compliment, I'm proud of you, and bumping it up so that God can use it. Uh, so that it actually is ministering grace to the hearer. Look at what he says in Colossians 1. For since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. Now, we're coming into the middle of it. He's saying, here's why, here's why I think you're great Christians, because you have faith in Christ and you love other Christians. It's not just saying, wow, you're a really, you're a really great Christian, thank you. It is. It is... Putting it that it's all about their relationship to God and their love for God's people. And it takes that compliment, and he, it brings it to a place that it... Do you remember... Um, I, I didn't write this one down. Uh, but do you remember when... Um, who's he talking to? But he says, uh, their zeal hath... I'm paraphrasing, inspired many. Uh, remember, it was the, the, their love for Christ, their zeal had inspired men. Do you remember that verse? Somebody, somebody find it for me some other time. But anyway, it's there, I, trust me. talking about zeal. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, we need, to, we need to let what we're saying then push them toward greater service, push each other toward greater service. Look at what uh, he says in 1st Lesson in chapter 1. Remembering without ceasing, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. You know why, I'm, you know why I remember you and pray for you or thank God upon every remembrance of you because guess what you're doing? You're working, for, you're working in faith. You're laboring in love. You're serving the Lord. See how that's different than you're a great guy? You know, I mean, uh, hear, hear me out. Um... I get this every Sunday. I appreciate it. It's not like I don't appreciate it, but pastor, great great message. I really appreciate it. Okay? And you know what you can do if you're not careful with that kind of compliment? Yeah, you know what? I'm not such a bad pastor. These people are pretty lucky to have me around here. <laughs> you, know, you get the idea? Because we're, we're putting the focus on the person instead of on the God that we're all here to serve. Bump the compliment up to where it it pushes people toward greater service. It, it causes us to think about, you know, wow, if I'm going to sing for Jesus, maybe I ought to do this for Jesus too. Now I can love other people for Jesus. I mean, we're, we're kind of bumping it up. That's what the Apostle Paul's doing, and he just keeps encouraging them toward greater service as he's uh, giving them these compliments here. Um, in First Timothy chapter one, He, this is is just a big one, I think. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. I mean, you know, that's a huge compliment. And if we just said, you're like a son to me, that's great. But when we put the in the faith on there, it puts the context of it, right? I I mean, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Brett are like sons to me. They are, and, and I love them dearly, and they're like sons to me. We spend a lot of time together, and they're like sons to me. But I don't need for them to replace my son. I've got a son, right? I, what I want them to do is to continue to grow in their faith. And so, you know, when, when I hand out compliments to them, I need to try to be careful to make sure that what I'm doing is pushing them to, to service of the Lord, not to pride. Because pride's already a problem we all fight. And so I don't want to push them to pride I want to push them. So I'm just telling you, guard your compliment. Don't quit giving them, but add to it. Make the compliment actually something that has great power. Can you give me some, some suggested compliments? If you want to give a compliment to somebody in your family or somebody here at the church, whatever, how, what's, what's something you could say? I'm, I'm asking you to think outside the box here. So what's something you could say? be a suggested compliment that would accomplish what we're trying to do here. Yes, Miss Joy.
0: I talk to my kids, I um, that is the of Right.
2: The first song we just sang would be a great phrase to say to your kids and grandkids. You know what? When you did that, that's just like Jesus. Wouldn't that be something to say to your kid? You know, I I could see Jesus doing that right there. And now, I'm telling my son that I'm proud of him, but I'm encouraging my son to be more like Jesus, right? That's just What are you going to say, Scott? Oh, whoever it was. I saw a hand back there. Robert... (laughs) They <laughs> you, you see how you take it. Don't just say, Pastor, you did a great job. Thanks a lot. I, that's what I need, just a bigger head. You, you understand? It's Because like, it's not about us. It's not. And when we take that and we, we just bump it up and we make, a, we make our compliment have more meat, uh, that's the challenge. It's not easy. This is, this is not easy. But if we'll take those principles of letting your, salt, your, your speech be seasoned with salt, of uh, letting your tongue be healthy and letting your, uh, salt, speaking with a soft answer and having a wholesome tongue and a word fitly spoken, let no corrupt communication be out of your mouth. The end result is that we begin to see these compliments. Can you think of some other compliments in the Bible? How about this one? God looked at a teenage boy named David and said this. He said this to Saul. I have found someone else to be king, and I've sought out a man after my own heart. Do you think that David carried that thought with him the rest of his kingdom? Uh, wow, God called me a man after his own heart. Do you think that changed the way David looked at it? Was he perfect? No. But I can imagine every time he failed, David was hearing the echo of God's words. A man after God's own heart. Oh, that wasn't me. God, please forgive me. Have mercy, forgive me. God, oh God, right as He says in Psalm 51. Um, I love this one. God looked at Moses and said, "Moses is the most meek person on the planet." That's humble. He's the hum. What do you, What do you do with a compliment like that, right? When God's when God calls you the most humble person. I mean, how do you even respond to that? Thank you. I mean. <laughs> You can't get prou- proud of it, right? I mean, wow, that's incredible. Uh, you know, God's God's compliments drive us to greater service. They ought not to drive us to to just think about ourselves. And so, I'm I'm just saying, be careful with compliment. I, uh, you know, it's fine. You can still compliment people's hair and people's clothes. We're not talking about that. But I'm saying that you know, when you really want to make an impact with your compliment. Make it say something. Make it say something that goes beyond. Uh, push them to uh, greater service. So that's number twelve. Be complimentary. I love this. Following be complimentary is this. Don't be afraid to judge. <laughs> um, and this is a challenging one. Um, in Matthew chapter seven, it says, "Judge not, that you be not judged." And if you were to read this book, it's like there's three pages in each chapter, roughly. It's a pretty short little book. But um, he says you know, to his son, this is probably the most misused verse in modern day. Don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me, right? And, uh, and that's what people get from this verse, and they're missing, really, the greater message of the chapter. You have to read the chapter, because that same chapter, just a few verses later, says, by their fruits ye shall know them. So we're called upon to determine whether their fruits are right or wrong. And so krino is the the Greek word there. It means to distinguish, to decide. It also means to try, to condemn, to punish. Same word used both ways in the scripture. And in fact, in this passage, Matthew 7, it's used both ways uh, in this one chapter. But it says, judge not, that you be not judged, is literally going to the last part of that definition. Our job is not to condemn, not to punish. That's not what my job is, right? I'm not to, I'm not to judge, but I am to discern. I am to, by their fruits I shall know them, to be able to decide things that are right and wrong. And so the, basics, the basis of this chapter for him is, son, don't be afraid to make a decision, Right? Here's what he's saying. Don't be afraid to make decisions. The verses I'm about to show you, all of the verses contain the same Greek word. And it's going to be interpreted different ways, translated different ways. And I want you to see this because it's really talking about making decisions. We need to be people who know how to make some decisions. So take a look at this one, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. That word underlined, esteemeth, is the same krino that means to judge, he says, one man, esteemeth, decides, makes a decision that one day ought to be held higher than another. So, you know, I'm going to just tell you in our day and age, we say, you know, Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving are more important to us than other days of the year. Uh, and We set them aside and we celebrate them uniquely because we say what they represent, Right. But another guy says, every day ought to be the same. I mean, the reality is, isn't the birth of Christ important to me every day of the year? And isn't the resurrection of Christ important to me every day of the year? And ought I not to be thankful every day of the year? And so one guy says, I'm going to set these aside, and I'm going to celebrate them uniquely. And the other guy says, I'm not going to celebrate them uniquely because I think every day ought to be uh, equal and, and the same. The Apostle Paul says, as he's writing in Romans, you decide. You decide, and he finishes that with let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Uh, And and it's an interesting concept here, but don't be afraid. He's trying to teach his son, don't be afraid to make a decision. And you don't always have to agree with everybody else in your decision-making. One guy might think this way, and another guy might think this way, and it's okay. But don't be afraid to make a decision. Use the knowledge you have and discern to discern. Now, when we go back to Matthew chapter 7, and we're talking about that, that judging, you know, we're not supposed to judge to condemn. Um, it's not my, my job to judge and condemn. But it goes on, really, in discerning. When you put the discernment in there, Matthew chapter 7 tells me what I am supposed to discern and what I can't. You know what I cannot determine? I cannot decide. I cannot decide what's in your heart. I don't know why you did something. I know what you did. I can see what you did. You stole that candy bar. That was wrong. I can make that judgment. That was wrong. I can discern that. But if I say, I know why you stole that candy bar, and I start putting reasons, putting words in your mouth. Have you ever said that to your kid, by the way? I know why you did that. Or I know what you're thinking, son. I know what you're thinking. Now, chances are, as a seasoned parent you probably actually do know what they're thinking right but you know what your son is saying to you at the same time what's he saying no you don't <laughs> no you don't and, and that's what he's saying you know, because he knows something he knows that you don't have the ability to see his heart quit trying to pretend you do and that's what Matthew 7 is saying don't let's not make up things here I, I can I can tell what you did and I can tell whether it was right or wrong But I can't tell why you did it, and when I start putting trying to figure out people's motives, it gets us in trouble. Churches split because people are trying to figure out the motives of. I can't believe brother so and so did that. I know why he did it. He's trying to hurt me. He he's trying to you know, give me a break. You know, no, you know we don't we can't do that. We can't. So judge not, you be not judged. Uh, So. But let's learn how to make some good decisions. And in Romans 14, I've got to say this real quick, and I've got to keep moving. But in Romans 14, it goes on to say, God says it this way. I'm paraphrasing. Did you die for that person? Are they your servant, or are they mine? Okay, I'm paraphrasing what God says in Romans 14. And the answer is, obviously, what? They're God's servant. They're not mine, right? And so God says then let me direct my servant. And if one of my servants says, I'm going to esteem one day over another, and one of my servants says, I'm not going to, that's my business, not yours. Mind your own business. That's what God's saying in Romans 14. He really is. Like, leave it alone. Uh, you, that's not what you're here for. But don't be afraid to make some decisions. I speak as wise men, he says in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, judge ye what I say. We're called upon to judge. We're called upon to discern to listen with an ear and make sure that we understand. Uh, in Titus, when I shall send uh, Artemis I'm sorry, unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to, to winter. There's a toll-free call coming in for your pastor, and I'm not going to think. Uh, so I have determined uh, there to winter. So the Apostle Paul say, I've made a decision. I've made a judgment call. I'm going to stay here, right? I'm going to stay here. So when you come, you know, send these guys to me because I'm going to stay here. you remember when the Apostle Paul, at the end of the Book of Acts, uh, is heading toward Rome, and time and time again, people keep saying to him, "Don't go to Rome. If you go to Rome, you're going to die. You're going to go. If you go to Rome, it's not going to be pretty." And the Apostle Paul was like, he had made it, he had made a decision. Now I have literally heard people argue about that decision because. Agabus I think it was Agabus says to him he was a prophet of God says to him he picks up a piece of Paul's clothing and he says the owner of this cloak will die if he goes to Rome and everybody's like don't go to Rome and Paul's like I believe I'm supposed to go to Rome and so it comes back to Romans 14 right the apostle Paul is like and I've heard some people say Paul's just being stubborn if he wouldn't have gone, maybe his ministry would have lasted longer But I'm telling you what the Apostle Paul said is, I believe God wants me to go to Rome, and I'm probably gonna die. He literally said to them, I'm probably not coming back, so see y'all later. You know, he knows, he understands, but you know, we've got to not be afraid to make some decisions. So there he is, he's gonna stay and stay there for the winter. Matthew chapter seven, verse two says this for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Let me give you an example. You you guys know this. One of my pet peeves. What's one of my biggest pet peeves? You know what it is. I talk about it to you. What? Being late. Don't be late. I don't like being late. I don't. My my saying, you've heard me say it, early is on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. Do you think my kids have heard me say this? Yes. Do you think I've ever been late? Do you think my kids give me a rough time when I'm late? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know why? Because with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, and they don't cut me any slack, and I'm looking to them thinking, I've got a good excuse. Let me give you my excuse. They're like, there are no excuses, Dad. Early is on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. You know, and I, the reason that is because I hold them to that standard. If I'm going to hold them to that standard, then they're going to hold it to me, right? I mean, it becomes an issue. Now, I'm not saying we never have a reason. That's, I'm just trying to give you an explanation of that verse, right? With, with what judgment you judge, that's going to be brought back to you. So you've got to be careful when you're making those determinations. Judge not, that you be not judged. Luke chapter 6. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. And I love how he ends it. Forgive. He, he ends it on the positive. And you shall be forgiven. You know, if, if we want to be judgmental, it comes back to bite us. It does. If that's what we want to be, you know, but. Now, again, we can, we can decide, we can discern the fruits. I know what actions are sinful, because God tells me. I can't determine motive. But if I'm going to start judging motive, people are going to start judging my motive. If I'm going to try to guess what your motive is, people are going to start guessing my motive. Have you ever? You can be honest with me, it doesn't bother me. Have you ever heard me preach something you think, I wonder, what, I wonder why he's saying that wonder why he's, what's he trying to get us to do? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, it's very possible you've been that way. I don't have any idea. We've got to be careful, right? That's not what we're called upon to do. But at the same time, he's saying to his son, don't be afraid to make a judgment call. Don't be afraid to make a decision. Uh, so when do, I, when do I have no judgment, no say in the matter? I don't have to make a judgment call all the time. Okay, so if God says, thou shalt not, you know, what I, you know what I don't have to do? I don't have to decide whether it's right or wrong. There's no judgment for me. My job then is to obey, right? That's all my job is. And I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to try to figure it out. It's very clear. It's those things that aren't that I'm going to have to make a decision on. And so I'm guessing there's, 45 people in this room, then there's 45 different opinions on music sitting right here. Everybody likes different music, it's just the way it is, you know? We can argue about it forever, so, you know, why wouldn't we bring your favorite song and sing it at church? Well, at some point, it does become a judgment call on your pastor. I'm just being honest, that's, that's one of my jobs as a pastor. And it becomes a judgment. I'm guessing that there's been many, of the, many a song that's been sung from our pulpit that some of you are thinking, I cannot believe pastors letting that be sung here. <laughs> it's just the truth. It's what it is, you know, because I'm pretty eclectic when, of what I allow for us to do. But those are my calls, right? They are. That's the, what God's called me to do. I've got to be willing to make some decisions and, and to, but also to seek counsel, all those things. So I've got to keep going. Number 14, this is the last one and we'll stop, is to control yourself. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Uh, You know, this is like every teenager needs this one, right? Uh, You know how I know? Because every adult needs that one, too. That's how I know. And uh, we we need to learn how to rule our own spirit to have self-control. And I'm going to just give these to you real quickly because I'm already out of time. How is self-control exposed? Here's what the Bible says about our words. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. People who talk and 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 talk, and talk they're showing us something about their self-control. So if you could sum up Proverbs 10:19 in two words, what is God telling us? You're nice. Shut up, right? God's... A- God's like, "Just shut up." Do you ever just want to say that to somebody? Would you just shut up? Maybe you've actually said it to so, somebody. I don't know. You know? Because they just won't. Have you ever? This. Now I know you've done this to one of your kids, right? Now, son, you better you better not say another word. Just. And then he keeps, son. I'm telling you, you need to stop. And he said, "All right, that's it. You've crossed the line." Finally, like, you know, they can't stop. They just can't stop. It's lack of self-control. If you and I would just watch our words, do our words expose a lack of self-control? Have you ever said something when you're driving only to hear your three-year-old say it back at you and you realize you probably shouldn't have said that? Now, I'm not talking about really bad stuff. I'm like, that stupid idiot. I can't believe it. We don't let our three-year-olds talk like that in our Christian homes, right? We're saying that to the driver because we're not thinking they're paying attention. And then two days later, we hear them call their little sister a stupid idiot. we like, eh, wait a minute, where'd you, oh, I know where you got that. From a dad who wasn't exercising self-control. That, you know, that diary of words that we've got. Food, Proverbs, the Bible says in Proverbs, uh, put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. We need to learn how to control our appetite. These, these are things that just tell us, are we, are we self-controlled? Our temper, he that is soon to angry, deals foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hated. Are we soon, are we, do we get angry quickly? I'm, I'm just being transparent. I I can put up with you people forever, it seems like. But there are three people on this planet that can get under my skin in about 15 seconds. My wife, my son, and my daughter. And I love them to death. You understand? I'm, I'm, I love them to death. But... I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? How in the world does this work? It doesn't. It just is God revealing to me, John, you've still got some things to work on, buddy. Don't give it up, right? you still got some things to work on. How is it that I can be so short with my wife, who I love more than anybody else on the planet? How can I do that and put up with so much from the teenagers that I teach every day at Suburban. You know, wait a minute, how can I do that? That doesn't make sense. But God's just trying to expose. This is where you still need to be working, John. Don't be soon to get angry. Uh, Luke chapter 16, we're talking about money here. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, mammon is money, then how can we commit to you true riches? How can God trust us with souls and the scripture if we can't even handle money. And so he's just giving us some real, there's just some simple things that would just tell us. Are we, how are we doing with self-control? What are our words like? What is our approach to food? What's our temper like? What's our approach to money? God's trying to teach us some things. The ultimate is to be self-controlled, right? And so uh, when we do these things, add these things to our lives, we become more useful. God steps in, whether we're Moses in our 80s or whether we're, You know, Samuel in Not a Teenager Yet, and God's saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. And we need to be clean vessels, fit for the Master's use, ready to be used by God. So we'll uh, break up into uh, some prayer groups. Don't forget John Dice and Lori Roberts. Anybody else have anything you need to share with us to uh, pray about tonight together? The rights should be going to South Korea, so pray for their travel mercies. Yep. And the just a baby. Who? The Taylors the just announced. So they're, they're recent ones that we've just taken on. So the Taylors just announced they're having a baby. So congratulations to them. And of course the Klingmans. Uh, they're back on the ground. Bruce is over his uh, his sickness, whatever it was. I and I have no idea what it was. To be honest with you, it could have been just the idea of going back and facing some things but uh, he said uh, that he literally can't remember five hours of their flight he got so nauseous and sick and five hours of the the 30-hour flight just are kind of beyond his memory so uh but they're doing fine they're on the ground and seem to be doing fine so continue to pray for them all right so break up into small groups we have miss wanda's visiting with us for the second time so make sure somebody introduce yourself to her and invite her in and And uh, you are dismissed after you pray. God bless you.